Support for Best of Belfast comes from listeners just like me who love Northern Ireland and believe we have a better story to tell. A massive thanks to all of you listening who have already joined the Producers Club, especially our Titanic producers, Barclays Eagle Labs, Ulster University, Young Enterprise Northern Ireland, Gavin Wall, Peter Dixon, and of course, the Orma Baths team. Today's episode wouldn't exist without you. To find out more about how you can support independent ad-free media, get invitations to live podcasts, and submit questions to our guests, please visit bestofbelfast.org. Thanks so much, and really hope you enjoy today's show. Uh, sh- sure. I, um, I mean, my, my memories are, are, are happy, fun, family, um, just fond memories, um, despite the fact that what was going on around us in Belfast at the time mm. was um, probably the deepest, darkest period in, uh, in, in, in the history of the island. And so, yeah, so really contrary to that, I think I had a very happy, happy childhood memories, lots of friends, lots of family. Um, my mum my, my and dad were very um, loved entertaining, loved people. So the house was always full of people um, and and fun and laughter. Mm. So, yeah. That's unreal. So wh- whereabouts were you born and bred then? Uh, born in, in South Belfast, grew up in the uh, Malone area. And uh, later on, we moved out to uh, to County Down to the shores of Strangford Loch. But, oh, great. Um, early on, yeah. Happy days. Beautiful part of the country. <laughs> Beautiful part of the country, yes. Yeah. So, you know, pretty privileged in that sense, for sure. But uh, very fond memories. Incredible, incredible. Um, so for anyone who's just jumped in uh, to listen to this, hello. Uh, thank you very much for being here. Uh, welcome to Best of Belfast. This is the podcast that celebrates Northern Ireland and the incredible people in it. Uh, we're on the phone today. We're doing a little transatlantic conversation. Haven't done one of them for a while. And uh, with the one and only Mark Goldstone. Now, I have a little bio here about Mark, a little bit of information to kind of set some context and hopefully tee up uh, the rest of this chat here. But Mark has worked for more than 25 years in the healthcare and life science industry, um, basically encompassing everything from management, operations, commercialization and consulting. Generally speaking, he's got a real passion for new technology, new stuff and all things creative. He's currently based in New York City. He is the general partner of Four Point Capital, which is a performance-focused venture capital firm that invests in early-stage life science companies. And Mark, I I love this about your story. You actually began your career as a pharmacist, uh, which I'd love to to jump into a wee bit with good old boots. And, uh, you know, in an unexpected turn of events, it was your love for writing that led to a career in advertising, advertising as a copywriter, which in some ways was a bit of a stepping stone to where you are today. So I guess kind of on that note, Mark, I'd love to just find out more about your love for writing. I suppose stereotypically, it's not something you imagine a lot of pharmacists doing. But again, that's paint, it's painting a very broad brush of uh, some really smart people. I think um, it's it's funny, really. I, I think if you told me that when I was at school that I was going to make a living uh, by being a writer, <laughs> I would have laughed heartily at you. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I was always very interest in science 
um, had a real passion for it actually, and um, uh, ended up going to university to study pharmacy, um, which I absolutely loved. Uh, it was, it's a it's a great degree, and you get a very broad education, which I liked. So deep, deep into science of of, of medicines and um, of, of of medicine about the body, how it works, and that was fascinating. And um, that that I, I loved and, and and really cherished every second of learning about that. Um, but it also was about business because you had to understand how to to run a pharmacy whether that pharmacy was um, in the high street in a hospital yeah. or part of a pharmaceutical division of developing pharmaceuticals in, in a pharmaceutical company. So you sort of had sort of three very different um, aspects um, of, of pharmacy, which took you to very different places that yeah. you learned in your degree, which was great. That's crazy. So I, I, I think I just um, realized that I liked learning stuff and <laughs> um, was interested in lots of things. And um, I, I think I've got, one of those minds or brains that just picks up little facts and remembers them and sort of puts them <laughs> together. And and I suppose you could sort of call that creativity. And I don't think I really realized what it was at, at the time. Um, but, you know, as part of fun at university, we, we, we would write plays that would mostly taunt our lecturers at the end <laughs> of the term. And and I was part of the, the team that would write those. So I sort of got got into writing there a little bit and it was it was just fun and i don't think i'd ever seen writing as fun before and that's probably where i began to think a little bit about it um anyway left university um did um, a stint working for boots the chemist and um a, a few other retail pharmacies did a little stint in um in hospital and clinical pharmacy um, all of which I really enjoyed. Um, mm. And I think the thing I enjoyed most about being in retail pharmacy was was running a business. And the thing I really enjoyed most about hospital pharmacy was, you know, the science, medicine, clinic, helping people. Yeah. Um, and, and then it was, it, if I'm honest, it was really an accident. Um, I had a couple of my good friends from Belfast, one of which is uh, – uh, a gentleman called Sean McArath, who's a very famous creative director of one of the top ad agencies in, in, in London. And he'd gone and got himself a career as a writer, and we'd been good friends. So he was always talking about his writing. And by the way, a, a way, way, way more talented writer than I am, <laughs> which is what I found out when I got into advertising. But um, um, we, uh, we, we were all living in London at the time, and I was practicing pharmacy and he was doing his writing and i had another friend uh, that i'd met who was an art director in an ad agency and they had the the account for uh one of the over-the-counter cough mixtures they were doing mm. the tv ads for that and we we were out one evening and he said oh mark yeah, yeah we're working on this ad look this is the ad you know you're, you're a pharmacist you know about these things you know, what, what would you write here and so you know i just wrote him what I thought was a line, what he later told me was a headline. <laughs> so um, that sort of, I never thought anything more of it. Literally never thought anything more of it. And um, as I was uh, getting deeper into my pharmacy to career, I realized, you know, this is, this has been great. Um, I really enjoy it. Um, but um, if, if I'm going to stay in London, which is where we were at the time, um, maybe, maybe I wanted to get into pharmacy and buy a retail pharmacy. And it was a lot of money mm. and a big, a big uh, stepping stone. So I thought, well, you know, 
I've got this degree. I can do this anytime. You know, I should be open-minded about things. And, you know, if something else comes along in other places, I should be open-minded. Anyway, cut a long story short. One day I was reading a newspaper that I never read, turning a page and saw an ad that I never look at. <laughs> and there was an ad looking for a copywriter for an ad agency. Wow. And I, I thought, why not? And I applied, um, not thinking anything of it, just wrote off the application. Anyway, I got the job. That was kind of the start of it. Unbelievable. And um, it, what I found was, I, as I said, when I was at college, I would write and it was fun. And, and I think it took me quite a while to work out that. So, so like, I'm going to write this stuff and you're going to pay me? And he went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just didn't associate it with work. So I, I think that made it all the more fun. Anyway, I, I instantly loved the space mm. and, um, and, and it became uh, a, a real passion. And I, I wanted to learn how to write. Because what I realized was that I was, unlike many of the people who I sat around with, I was not a natural writer. Mm -hmm. um, I, I had to kind of work hard at it. And you can learn to be a good writer, a good copywriter. It's a real skill and a craft. But, you know, I'd sit in meetings with some guys and they'd just come up with a headline. And you go, holy, where did that come <laughs> from? It's like, wow. So... Um, but what I think I did find is I, 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 I understood, and, and this is what writing does as well. Very early on, I realized I understood a lot about strategy, about you know why we were writing this ad and why we were writing that headline and why that was engaging and why it worked and why it meant how, how that could sell the product and drive business. And um, sort of as I evolved as a writer, I think I evolved much more into a, what were they call an ad agency, a planner or a strategist. Mm. Who, who all, by the way, are actually really, really good writers as well. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, and it was it was fun. And um, I, I did that for a few years, met a lot of exciting, interesting people, and one in particular who really was a, a, a mentor to me and, um, you know, became my business partner. And we, we started an agency together uh, in London, and we focused it on the healthcare space. Um and with, with a little difference because, you know, we've done a lot of uh, packaged goods work and pharmaceuticals sort of are very technical and a little less about television and much more about getting the selling strategy right, which would then go in the hands of, of, of Salesforce. Mm. So quite a different business, very technical and deep into the science, uh, whereas consumer advertising is much more about brand and connecting and engagement. So um, we, we built an agency with a little difference, with a lot of consulting, but one part of it was focused on you know, TV, packaged good consumer advertising, and the other part on launching very technical pharmaceuticals. Um, I love what you're saying there about, uh, you know, because there is this perception. I love the phrase you, you used, natural writers. And there are kind of those people who just kind of walk around and they can kind of pull amazing taglines out of thin air, it feels like. But I think people almost have it in their head then, oh, I'm not a natural writer. This isn't for me. But, you know, you mentioned how writing is a skill that can be developed. And as you have experienced, it's a very, very useful skill that can cross many, many different industries and many, many different kind of job roles. I'd love to kind of find out, um, you know, if you're talking to someone or if someone's listening to this, how can they go about to improve their writing? How can they um, maybe fall in love with writing a bit more, uh, even if they are, you know, that science type that thinks, now nah, this isn't for me? Yeah, that, that's, that's a, um, a really good point. And it's something actually I've taken with me throughout my career. In fact, um, a very famous advertising guy david ogilvy 
who founded Ogilvy and Mather, um, wrote lots of books about advertising and talked a lot about you know building people and teams. And one of his famous quotes was basically, "The better you can write, the higher you the higher you will go in my organization." Wow. And 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 that's something I think I've I've taken to heart when when I've been working in uh, in, in business generally. Um, I, I think it's a great skill. And um, yes, you can absolutely learn it. I mean, I, I think if I remember correctly, my back to my O levels, my worst scoring O level was English language. <laughs> so, so, it's always the way, Mark. Know, it's always the way. <laughs> and, and, and as I said, if you told me I was going to be a writer or something, yeah, I don't think I think I would have laughed. But you know, um, I, I think a, a lot of it's about interest and passion, and that comes from a party from reading and understanding. And the more you read and the more you understand what, what words mean and why that word actually conveys something completely different to that word and how you think about language as a whole, it really represents everything we are, our being, and how we actually describe everything. Mm. So without words and the right words at the right time, it's hard. So it, it, it's it's something I think uh, we take for granted because you grew up you know, learning a language. Um, but just to spend a little bit more time and interest in it, and it's just about the interest, and I think anybody can learn to write well. Um, uh, they can learn to write really well. Uh, and definitely there are people who are who are very, very talented with words, who uh, just like there are people very talented uh, with music and other things like that. Absolutely. So. Yeah, brilliant. And I, I really buy into the, the whole philosophy that writing is uh, a way to refine your thoughts and almost hone in your ideas. Um, perhaps you don't exactly wake up in the morning, you know, spend five hours at the writing desk, you know, uh, constructing the latest prose or doing morning pages. But uh, in your kind of like day to day work life or even your week, week by week, does writing um, play a role in your job? Does it play a role in um, even refining your own focus or your own personal strategy, whether it's work or, or not? Yeah, I, I find that. Uh, well, firstly, yeah, I, I write a lot. Um, you know, in, in the investment space, you've got to understand a business opportunity. And to do that, you know, you have to think a lot about, you know, where that business can go. Uh, we've got to have that presented to us, but we've got to present it internally to our, our, our team and our partners. Mm. And so being able to succinctly present what's sometimes very complicated ideas, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, is is vitally important to getting it across. It's the difference between investing in something and not investing in something, or doing something and not doing something. So, um, and I personally find that I need to write and put things down so that I understand them in my mind. It it's, it helps me shape, um, you know, the flow of what what the story is all about. What what is it that we're trying to do here? And, and, and that's not always easy when you have lots and lots of facts floating around the place. To put them down, you can move them around and get them in the right order, at least in your own mind. And it's interesting because I think, actually, um, when, when I go back to my advertising career, um, we start when I started in the business, we, we did all ads. You'd write them with pen and paper. We, we literally wrote on a pencil and paper. Mm. And the art directors would draw, and they would draw out and scamp the ad. Wow. You know, so this was before computers. So I went through the era of bringing, first of all, computers in to advertising, where we had to basically train all the art directors to become 
you know, Mac operators Mental. and uh, designers. <laughs> And then, and by the way, that was before the internet. So then when we got connected, <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we were just after the era where they would literally still set hot metal type. We were a little bit after that. Wow. They had linotype machines and stuff. But, but, um, but, but that was fascinating because I've still found that I, I, I find it much easier to put my thoughts down when I've got a pen in my hand. Hmm. Um, though, though today I feel like I've lost the ability to write. If I write, I can't read. What did I write there? I can't read that anymore. <laughs> you know, you type so much, you don't use your your writing. Totally, with your hand. Yeah, but you know, everything is story driven, and I guess what you, the type of work you're involved in, it is that industry. You know, the healthcare and the life sciences. These are stories, and these are products, and these are services that are fundamentally changing people's lives. You know, and. There are yep. companies out there that they solely exist to make profit. Of course, medical companies, they exist to make a profit as well. But there is something, or certainly from an outsider's perspective, there seems to be something different versus, you know, if I just came up with some sort of widget that could do something minor around the house uh, and make, you know, a trillion bucks, it doesn't have the same appeal to it as, okay, well, we can make a lot of money, but actually we can also completely fundamentally change the way someone with a certain disease lives their lives. Um, how does that kind of drive factor into the type of work you currently do and I suppose have done as well? I, I think that's a huge factor for me. And, and I think that's what I've loved about medical sciences, uh, you know, ever since I've got engaged with them. Um, and it, it's actually a really interesting point you make there. You know, the, the pharmaceutical industry gets a bad rap because everybody thinks it's all about making profits. Big pharma. <laughs> well, Yes, and and they get the they get the butt end of all of these you know uh, movies and TV mm. shows about the, the the crazy scientist who's doing this to whatever. Sure. The, the reality that you'll find is that everybody who works in the pharmaceutical industry is doing it because they truly believe that they want to help people. Yeah. And the reality is, unless you make big profits, you can't do that. So it's about what you intend to do with those profits. That's the question you have to ask people. In some companies, it's just about returning it only to their shareholders. Um, and if you go and you, and, you, and you spend a lot of time with people in the pharmaceutical industry, you recognize the, genuous, the genuineness of, of, of their intent mm. and what they're really trying to do and how hard it is, by the way. Um, so they, they genuinely get a bad rap for, for really doing a lot, a lot of good. Um, but you have to make money because it costs a lot of money to develop drugs. And um, if, 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 as, as uh, when, when people ask about it, you know, you say, well, if, if you don't have these private companies doing it, what's the alternative? Wow, yeah. Um, do you want to have governments make medicines for you? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, so, and then, you know, I, I am a complete outsider in all this, but. Um, I kind of am like loosely, my loose understanding is that it takes a lot more money to get a drug to market than one would imagine. You know, it probably takes a billion or somewhere around that even just to get something, you know, into my hands, which is an obscene amount of money, but that's what it takes, I guess, as well, doesn't it? Yeah, the the average is, is, is somewhere between two and three billion. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and um, you know, because you've, you, you have to account for all of the failures. And so, by the way, that's what you've got to spend before you even start to market the product and spend your money on marketing and get it in the hands of people. So that's just the cost to develop it. 
and everybody knows development costs are usually a fraction of of, of marketing and commercialization costs. So, mm. so kind of um, to get a bit more, I suppose, present and a bit more specific. Um, so at four point capital, you know, you're a venture capital firm. You're interested in investing in that early stage. Talk to me, I guess, about that early stage and specifically what type of stories or what type of companies or products are you really kind of looking out for? Like, What really makes your ears prick up or your eyes kind of widen whenever uh, you know the, it lands in in your email inbox? Yeah, so so there's actually an interesting story to, to the background to the fund. Um, my, my, my partner... And I met because he wanted to donate some money to a neurodegenerative disease research. He'd had members of his family uh, who were affected, and um, um, I was introduced to him by a third a, a third party who said, "Maybe Mark, you can help him. He wants to donate money." So, so I said, "You know, if you donate money, it, it, and, and that's very nice sum of money you want to donate, by the way, which was not." not <laughs> Unsubstantial, but I said that that still doesn't go very far away in pharmaceutical research. You know, you're better off, you know, building something that can continue to contribute money so that you actually see the project through. Mm. So we ended up creating a foundation um, called the Neurogen Foundation, which you know basically funds early stage research that may not be funded otherwise and stuff that's potentially breakthrough. And it also funds um, access to medicines for people who can't get them or don't know how to get there. Um, so that was kind of the start of 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 of, uh, of of what became a venture capital fund. Because I sat down with him one day and said, "Well, so how, how are we going to continue to fund this?" And he said, "Well, the best way I know is if we make some more money, we can continue to make." <laughs> so that's kind of how it started. So easy, so we Mark, also right, I, I, right yeah. <laughs> An impact fund. So, um, so, so we do donate um, uh, our part of our profits to um, uh, to the foundation to continue to invest in, uh, you know, early research. But the fund itself focuses on early stage life science companies. So, pharma, biotech, um, medical device, diagnostics, mm. um, digital platforms, and technology. So, we're, we're reasonably broad. In that sense, because we're looking at sort of an early area. So, in pharmaceutical and biotech, we would look at uh, companies that are probably um, at what's called a preclinical stage, um, meaning that they haven't got the the drug ready to go into testing into man. So, they've done all of the lab work and they've got proof of concept at that stage, and then. Um, there's sort of three phases. You've got phase one trials, then phase two, then phase three. Phase one really is about testing the uh, the, the toxicity of the product. Mm. Phase two tests the, the, the dosing and the efficacy, and then phase three you do to basically um, make your 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 claims. So, for example, maybe uh, phase two I've shown I've got a drug that will lower blood pressure. Mm-hmm. And I've demonstrated that my phase three study would then say my drug lowers blood pressure to prevent stroke. So that would be your claim. So gotcha. that's how you do it. So um, so we would we would invest in companies typically and take them from preclinical, so doing just starting their phase one studies, do the phase two. So we do, you know, uh, is it safe? Does it work? And at that point, we would look to, to do an exit. And there's quite a... There's quite a, a, a reasonable market at that stage of either other investors or even pharmaceutical companies 
who would want to come and take a product at that stage if you've got some nice data that shows it really works. Mm. So um, that's sort of our window, and that probably would take about five, six years, wow. which, you know, as, as an investment group, you, your funds run over a particular period of time. So you've got to have something that fits within your window. So that would be, you know, and they can run longer than that. So typical funds run sort of 10 years, something like that. Yeah. So you want something that's going to fit in to allow you to have time to invest, time to get your inflection point, and then time to be able to, to do your exit. That's great. And what was the rationale behind choosing that window? Because obviously it's quite a long journey you've taken them on, yet there is still a, a lo- an even larger journey almost to go on from that point. What what was the rationale behind choosing so preclinical to kind of that next stage of investment? That, that that's, a, that's a great question, actually. Um, partly it was to do with the team of people that we had. Okay. Um, you know, it's a very, as you've said, specialist area. And so being able to um, come in at that point and understand where we think there is a product which has a really good opportunity and, and a significant uh, inflection growth point, um, but also is low risk. So, you know, it's all very high risk, but it's all relative. Can I get relatively less risk? Um, um, you need the right people to do that. And I've got a team of partners who have spent many years and many aspects of this whole process from um, the past chief scientific officer of uh, two of the major pharmaceutical companies in the world who's brought 17 major drugs to market over his career. Phenomenal guy. Incredible. and uh, and by the way, his job in, in when you when you work in the big pharmaceutical industry, you know, you might work on I don't know, twenty, thirty projects in your in your R and D group. Mm. And at the end of the year, the CEO will come to you and say, Pick your top three. Wow. Because they're not going to take all of those to market. It's too That's much incredible. of a, a risk. And so if you're not a good picker, by the way, um, <laughs> then you don't stay in that job very long. <laughs> so he's clearly a very good picker. Yeah. So so um so understanding, first of all, what we think the market's going to be interested in in five years' time um, is important. But uh, the, the real reason why we do it is because we can add a lot of value with people uh, uh, like my partners where we can look at what's the exit, what's the commercial strategy. And I've spent most of my career basically working on launching big pharmaceutical products. Um, we, we look at the, the project from different through different lenses and we all, we all add different types of value to it so um it's an area where we think we can add a lot of value and if you can add value you can create value and that's worth money so so that's partly why because we can if you like is the answer to that (laughs) um the second part is actually um in, in the venture capital space a lot of the funds over the years have become very 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 large meaning you know they they manage three four billion dollar funds um and you know, we might invest 10, 15, $20 million in a deal. Um, that's a lot of effort to do that. Yeah. Some of those bigger funds don't want to do that. It's just too much effort for a small investment. They'd rather come in later and invest $100 million. Gotcha. So, um, so so a lot of the, the market, if you like, has kind of moved up to that place. So there's mm. there's a space here where we can... Uh, play and, and 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 have access to lots of opportunities. So you guys are writing, relatively speaking, and it sounds crazy to even say this, but relatively speak, speaking, smaller checks, but more off them. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and, and getting that to uh, 
companies to a different stage. As I said, it's, it's part of that, part of adding value. It's brilliant. Maybe it would be cool to find out like some of the current companies that you're working with, uh, if you don't mind sharing, of course, uh, but to hear kind of some of these products and some of the things that you're currently uh, investing and taking on that journey. Yeah, so um, we're very interesting companies um, across some different categories, if you like. Uh, so, for example, one company is developing um, uh, a new vaccine for strep pneumonia. Um, and this is a, a very important area. It's a, it's a very large market, a couple of pharma companies with some big products in it. But the current technology, um, so, so strep pneumonia is a bacteria that causes meningitis mm. um, and pneumonia. And um, it, it, it's one of the, uh, the, the largest sort of diseases um, uh, globally that affects people. You know, pneumonia is really, really big. And um, there are, I'm going to say, 96 or 8 strains of the bacteria. Oh, and the current technology uh, is based around what's called a polysaccharide coat of, 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 of the bacteria that represents each of the strains. So if you want to create a vaccine, you have to create um, a, uh, a polysaccharide uh, antigen that, that represents that strain and uh, put multiples of those together into one vaccine. So, for example, right now, uh, I think we can do 23 strains in one of the vaccines and maybe more than that. Um, so that leaves a lot of other strains. So what, what the, the companies have to do is to pick those top strains that are responsible, the most pathogenic, uh, that maybe cover, and I'm making the numbers up here, 85% mm-hmm. or 75% of all strep infections. So get the best hit. And, of course, that's slightly different in Europe than it is in the U.S., than it is in Asia. Yeah. So you're never going to get the perfect mix for everybody. Um so what this technology does is they found a way to actually use the protein coat on the bacteria to stimulate an immune response. So that's been traditionally very difficult because you have to kill the bacteria mm. first because you don't want to infect people. And when you kill it, you typically denature the protein. So when you offer it up to the body's immune system, it doesn't respond. It doesn't recognize it. Right. So they found a way to produce the bacterium with a, a, a and, and to kill it in a way that doesn't damage the protein coat so that they get a, a very significant immune response, but response to all strains in one vaccine rather than having to create a separate valent for each strain. That's crazy. So that's very exciting. Uh, and um, it, it's just sort of uh, a, a way to move that whole vaccine technology forward. And is that um, something that would have maybe like a cross-discipline or, a, sorry, a cross-function across different diseases, you know, that type of technology, not just strep pneumonia? Yeah. Yes, oh, yes, wow. absolutely. Well, then that's what makes yeah. it very interesting then, isn't it? <laughs> of course, absolutely. Um, and then uh, we have another company that um, is um, reinventing completely from scratch how we manufacture biotech uh, medicines, particularly proteins. So there's a difference between pharmaceuticals and biotech. So pharmaceuticals are, are, are small molecules, meaning I can make them in a lab with a chemistry set like okay. aspirin. 
Um, biotech are large biological molecules that the body produces that you can't make with a chemistry set, um, like insulin, for example. Mm. Um, we have to tinker with a, a, a cell's a, a DNA and persuade it to produce that for us. And then you put it in a great big vat like brewing. So it's much more <laughs> like um, it's it's literally like a, a, a fermenting and brewing. Crazy. So you have to uh, just like grow these things pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you've got to delicately find the right. You feed them some medium, just like you would feed, you know, your beer <laughs> when you're brewing it, and uh, it, it's like it's like a, a yeast, and you're you're growing that. And so nice. this is massive scale. You're talking, you know, massive, uh, uh, huge, large vats to to be able to do this on on a reasonable scale. And so the conversion rates are very low. Um, and you know, when you, uh, uh, you, you you first you you sort of you grow them, you persuade them to produce this protein. Then the tricky bit is I've got to extract that protein, that single one. Mm. Now imagine how many proteins you've got in a cell My or whatever goodness. else. In your, and Never all mind other a stuff. Huge and, <laughs> and a huge vat and gubbins. So you then go through a centrifuge and then you go through chromatography. So you remember in chemistry, you had a little chromatography paper. You'd put a drop of ink and it would spread out into the different colors. That's right. So imagine that basically and each of those different colors is maybe a different protein or a carbohydrate or something. So you can then spread them out and then scrape out the one you want. And that's part of the extraction process. Wow. But these, these chromatography columns are three stories high in the building. <laughs> so they basically reinventing completely the way that that process is done. And it's, it's a fascinating group of people. So that's very exciting. That's incredible. Yeah. Really, really next level stuff. It is. It's, I love like finding out stuff like this. Cause it's like, this is the world behind the world that we exist in, you know, and the medicines we take and, uh, you know, even hearing about like, you know, the things that have to be grown in huge vats, you're like, that is, mm. that is really, really interesting. How on earth do you uh, get your head around it all? You know, obviously you come from a, a pharmaceutical background, but you must be delving into so many different areas of medicine and different aspects of pharmacy. You know, how do you kind of keep the plates spinning in your head? Or I, I don't know what analogy to use. How do you uh, lock away all the boxes and open them when you need to? And you're like, ah, yes, this is yeah. my strep pneumonia box. Let me, you know, get back into this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, part of it's just having been involved for so long. So you, you gradually pick up lots of bits along the way. Um but, you know, the internet is an amazing place. You can just find <laughs> literally everything there. But, uh, yeah, so, so, you know, yeah, you, you, you store, you know, good uh, basic stuff and then you have to dig in and then you, 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 you can build on top of that. So, uh, you know, definitely you've got to dig into stuff, especially some of the new technology. I mean, I, I went to this one meeting up in Boston. These guys were talking about how they were producing CAR T cells, which is a, a really interesting technology where you, you basically take your own cells out, you, you tweak with them and you put them back in the body and then they fight cancer. Wow. And, um, making these is very complicated and this guy created i mean i could barely understand <laughs> any of the science that he was talking about sure, never mind yeah. trying to comprehend about how he'd actually managed to unravel the whole process for thinking about it in the first place which it's was mental. mind glove mental. Yeah. so i guess kind of on that point and uh maybe this is a dead end you know if this doesn't make sense i'm, I'm happy to go somewhere else but what about kind of um you know, the data speaks for itself and the science speaks for itself whenever it comes to a product. Um, what may be slightly more difficult is how do you decide which people people to trust in and what aspects or what characteristics or uh, what type of people are you looking to work with, whether it's 
internally on your own team, you're making a new hire, or whether it's a founder or a scientist that you're really about to invest a lot of time and effort and, uh, of course, money in as well? Um, yeah, that, that, that's actually a great question. That, that's a huge part of the investment process. You know, who, who's, the, who's the team? Um, because, you know, all of these things are so complicated that no one person can do it all. So you have to have a team and and uh, you have to have a team that kind of gels and fits together and is complementary so that you're you're really looking for one plus one equals three, that old saying. Um, so, so, you know, pe- people are, are critical and um, it takes a lot to, 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 to take any of this stuff forward. It takes a lot to produce it and get it to market. So a big part of that is having having the drive, um, having the drive, but the respect for your partners and the people that you're working with, and showing what they contribute and working together. So it's it's all of those things that are, are very logical, but 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 probably people don't talk about as often as they should do. Mm. Yeah. Any um, warning signs you've learned to kind of read over the years? <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, there's, there's, we, uh, especially in the scientific area, we, we, um, and, and I say we because this is, this is as, as a team, we, we particularly like people are, who are doing it for the right reasons. Um, you know, I think that's an important part. Not just doing it to try and make some money, but they're mm. doing it because they really believe in, in what they're doing. I think that's a really important part of it. Because, uh, you know, uh, we, we strongly believe if you do the right thing, the money will come. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I guess like, I'd love to kind of know, kind of zoom in out here then, uh, out of the, the nitty gritty details. Um, what about yourself? And I'm always interested, particularly whenever I talk to people who are from Northern Ireland who are living overseas. I'm curious kind of how or what way has Northern Ireland played a role in your story? Being someone who obviously... You know, you moved to London, it sounds like at a relatively young age. Uh, what kind of, does your Northern Irish heritage do for you, if anything at all? You know, is it uh, something that you cherish? Is it something that you tried to move away from? I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about that. No, it, 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 it's been a huge, huge part of, of who, who I am and helping me to be what I want to be. And I think it comes from um, the connectivity with people. Um, I've, I've, I've lived and worked in many places around the world, um, right now in New York, but I lived in Paris, I lived in Sydney, I worked in China, in Japan, um, and, and it's fascinating. And I, and I love meeting people and people of different cultures. And I think that one of the things about Northern Ireland is the, the social interaction, the aspect of people, just like people. Um, um, life is for living. Uh, people um, have a, a, a very witty, chirpy, upbeat sense of humor. <laughs> and, and they just like to... I remember, I remember the first week I went to, uh, to England, um, standing at a bus stop waiting to get to, to, to college from my, my, my dorm room. And people stood there and just nobody said a word. And it dawned on me that, you know, wow. You know, if I was back in Belfast, people said, oh, hello there, son, how are you? <laughs> uh, I, I, 
And and for the first time, I realized that there were people who were different from what I'd grown up as, and and that they didn't behave in the same way. Wow. So I, I think that that part is is has been, and and you see it. And when I meet people from Northern Ireland who are here in the states or you know been successful, you can see there there there's a certain charm. Um, they're engaging and charming, and, um, and and that's people from from all backgrounds, whether they're sort of a very nerdy scientist person <laughs> or w- whether they're uh, you know, an outgoing, witty TV performer. They all have that certain Northern Ireland charm, and I think it's a very, very valuable asset. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, this is something that I, I have written down, and I have no problem at all if you, if you want to stay clear from it. I think I mentioned to you in the email we are doing a, an episode on Otto Yaffe, and uh, that episode has kind of turned into more of a conversation around Jewish community in Northern Ireland and how that community ended up there and then actually how it started to kind of disappear. And it's funny, just listening to your story, you are someone who um, went through school and then left for opportunities. And that seems to be kind of like a run theme in that conversation. And just generally speaking, I'd love if you have any sort of information, because I'm just at the beginning of my research and all in this, uh, what do you know about the Jewish, Jewish community in Northern Ireland? Uh, any stories, any facts, literally any anything? I'm, I'm really just uh, on the lookout for uh, jumping off points where I can kind of uh, pursue further. Um, sure. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not really sure about where to begin. Cause it's, a, <laughs> it's a big um, story. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's been a strong, a small Jewish community in Northern Ireland for for for, for many many years. Um, my family moved there in the late twenties, nineteen twenty nine, nineteen thirty, something like that. Um, they, um, my, my grandparents were Romanian, and um, were, let's say. Um, politely asked to leave the country uh, wow. in the early 1900s and um, ended up in Manchester. So I, I think some stayed in Manchester and there's two groups of the family, some went to states, which we, we don't know. We've kind of no contact with, um, you know, I'm, I'm going back. This is the, the stories your grandparents tell you. Yeah, of course. Um, um, it, it, interestingly, I think my grandmother must have, must have left Romania when she was probably about 21 or something like that. Um, it was never mentioned. It was never talked about, and uh, she spoke with the most perfect upper crust English accent. <laughs> you know, at at, at, at twenty one, leaving Romania, she didn't have any accent at all. Um, but uh, th- they lived in Manchester, and um, my um, my 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 uncles were in the the schmatter business, the rag trade, and um, Belfast was a, a big linen weaving centre, as you know, at the time. And, and I think the story goes that they had uh, gone to do a deal with some 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 linen in Belfast and um, had met some of the local Jewish community, liked the place, and, and moved the family over. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, yeah. but uh, and, and, and I think there were lots of people who, who kind of came for, along the way for similar reasons. Obviously, the, the, the war brought a few people, um, and you, you know there was a, a, a kinder transporting camp in in, uh, in in Malile, so that brought some families. And you know there was um, uh, over the years. I think uh, yeah, Belfast was booming, a booming city with many different industries to it, and so 
that commerce attracts all sorts of people from all walks. But, uh, you know, over the years, the community's dwindled a lot. I think when I grew up, it was, I don't know, I'm going to say a thousand families, maybe as much as that. I don't know. Wow. Um, it's, it's much smaller now. Yeah, totally. No, it's awesome. I uh, I think it's such an interesting story because it's a story that I frankly didn't know anything about uh, growing up in Belfast. And uh, you haven't had to uh, start digging too far just to be completely blown away by it. So, uh, no, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, so, I guess kind of starting to, to land the plane here, there's a, a few stock questions that uh, we've actually asked every single person we've had on the show. Um, some are quite big questions some are a little more shorter and sillier uh we'll start with the bigger one uh out of everything so far whether it be personal whether it be professional uh what would you describe as your greatest challenge that you faced so far and if you don't mind sharing how were you able to overcome it um yeah that's that's kind of a, a tough one because um um I don't know if there's anything particularly that stands out um, over anything. You know, I think we all face challenges every day. And um, I think, you know, you have to, it all depends on how you look at things. Mm. And um, if, if you can get your head into a place where, the challenge becomes an opportunity and tomorrow's another day and I'm learning something from it, then it's about, you know, how you, how you look at things. Um, and that's hard sometimes, I think, because no matter how you look, you, it's hard to see your way past what's facing you right there. Mm. Um, so I think you have to dig deep in those cases and, and, and uh, you know, th- think about it and try and put it all in perspective. And perspective art is really, when you put it in perspective, actually not that big a deal. Mm. So I think it's about trying to be able to... Um, uh, n- not let things get on top of you. And that happens all the time. And this is about challenges in life. And, and what's really interesting about, you know, it being in, in this business where we're working with early stage companies, you know, l- lots of them fail or yeah. they get go point through points of failure, which is a big challenge for them. But, uh, and, and it's one of the things I think that's really interesting about America, which is, um, the the worst thing that you can call somebody here, which I never quite understood, was you know a loser. It's all about failure. <laughs> There's only losers and winners, and America doesn't want to have losers. It's That's only right. about winning. Yeah. So it's all right to fail. It's all right to face those challenges and to, to fail as long as you get up and dust yourself down and start all over again. Yeah, that's it. And learn from it. Absolutely. Anything you do, um, whether it be big or small, to maintain that perspective whether it is in the day-to-day or, you know, a tough season? Yeah, I, I think you have to, 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 to look at uh, life and the world and people. I mean, it's, a, it's about people. And um, I, I think that we're all here together. And at the end of the day, we're only people and we're only all trying to, to, to get by and to do the right thing. Mm. The, the right thing in your mind might be a slightly different perspective, but you've got to, respect that too yeah totally so so um to flip that last kind of question on its head uh the one that uh we love to to throw out to a a northern irish person especially is how about the greatest success you've experienced so far 
or is there a standout kind of thing that you look back on as uh, the most successful moment? Um, my family. Mm. Um, marrying my wife, who helped me bring up two amazing children. That's the most successful thing I've ever done. <laughs> Contributed to life, <laughs> society, and everything all in one blow. Uh, but they're they're great. They're fantastic. My wife um, is one of those people who just makes people smile, and wow. I see that every day. And try and learn from that as much as I can because <laughs> I don't quite have the same skill that she has. She's just one of those people. And, um, you know, bringing two great kids into the world, I'm very lucky that they live nearby, they live here in New York, and not everybody gets the chance to be so close to their kids for uh, for a while, and they're living their lives here, and that's just exciting, and it makes me, you know, see my biggest success every day. That's brilliant. Um, This is completely kind of uh, left field. Uh, Thought the opportunity's there, though. So we've we've just had our first kid, so uh, we, Eliana, she's about six weeks old, uh, I'm Congratulations! Curious. Thank you very much. Mazeltov. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm curious if um, you know one of your kids when they're older, or maybe they are already grown. I'm not sure. Um, they were had just become parents, or they just become married, and you ha- could only give them one piece of advice uh, of keeping a family together. What what would it be? Um, I think it would be about. Um, joy see joy in everything that you do I know that sounds very flippant but um, you know if, if, if it's as I said before everything's about perspective it's about how you look at things if you look at something as terrible that's nasty oh no that's a challenge as opposed to the joy of what you get out of doing it mm. and, 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 and and that's an important concept try and find joy in whatever you do because um, that's what will connect you to people. That's what will connect you uh, to life and uh, to, to, to the planet and everything else, what's going on around us. It's great, man. Um, another kind of one of the bigger questions, if you could take anyone from Northern Ireland out for a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, pint, whatever your choice is, um, who would you take, uh, dead or alive, and perhaps where would you take them and why? Oh, that's really interesting. Um, so, um, so, so interestingly, um, uh, there's maybe there's a couple of answers for this, but uh, you know, uh, I, I, I'm a scientist as well. I have huge respect for scientists and the ones who. Uh, have changed the world that we live in. And there's been some, some notable ones. I've been quite lucky because uh, I don't know if you know Bill Campbell, who won the Nobel Prize. Mm. So um, for, he, he, he's uh, from Northern Ireland and um, Bill was here getting his, uh, he was here in New York. So I had a nice chance to meet with him, oh, but wow. we, we went, we went to the same school together, albeit a few years apart. <laughs> Fantastic! And and uh, so so it was uh, it was very very interesting to meet him because he's a, a, a very interesting man. Um, what was his area? Sorry, I, I, I'm I'm shocked. Actually, he, I don't know. Yes, a, a, a person from Northern Ireland who won the Nobel Prize. Absolutely, he he uh, won it for his part in the development of the drug that was used to treat river blindness wow. in Africa that Merck gave. 
as uh, they developed the drug. He worked at Merck and he developed it, but Merck gave the drug for free to African countries Incredible. and uh, had a, one of the most massive impacts on, on health in, in African countries. Wow. Northern Ireland, eh? Fair play. <laughs> there you go. You had a couple more uh, answers? Um, uh, Lord Kelvin. I'd like to have met Lord Kelvin. I think he must have been yeah. quite an interesting chap. Absolutely. Brilliant. Um, maybe um, maybe um, yes, yeah, so that, 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 on the science side, I think, yeah. That would it. be, yeah. Uh, Brilliant. Um, so the final question is such uh, the question that we always uh, end on is um, I guess it's the ultimate podcast cliche, although that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing. I uh, can't seem to get away from it. But, uh, you know, if, if you could go back in time and you could speak to that uh, 18-year-old Mark Goldstone, uh, you know, I don't know, you were at a chance encounter on, let's say, a subway uh, stop there at Columbus Circle. Um what sort of things would you say to him? What advice would you give to him? You know, what uh, parting words would, would you say to that 18 year old version of yourself? Yeah. And especially for today, I think, um, you know, w- what we see happening now is the, the rate of, the rate of change of change, <laughs> um, how quickly change is happening. Um, and, and, it used to be that things would just um, gradually change so that, you know, you could evolve your career, for example, into other areas over time, or in fact, maybe not even have to evolve your career in your whole lifetime. That's right. But things are changing so quickly now. Um, and, and what's been fascinating to see is um, with, with COVID-19, with the pandemic, um, standing back and looking at the speed of um, scientific development. You know, one day somebody reports, uh, oh, I know, blood group is an indicator of your risk of uh, uh, symptoms for COVID infection. And then by two weeks later, there's a paper published in one of the top journals saying, we studied this and no, it isn't, or yes, it is. I mean, just the speed. I mean, there are 130 companies working on vaccines alone at the moment. It's madness. Oh, nearly 30 of them already in clinical studies. It's just uh, – so, so so that's just to sort of give the example. Yeah. Because of technology, we can see the speed. And, and, and COVID itself has created such huge change. So uh, my advice would be learn as much as you can about everything. Mm. Um particularly the things you're interested in, because that's easier to learn. But try to go to the best places to learn about that. And it doesn't have to be, you know, the deepest, highest end science. It can be whatever it is about planing a piece of wood. Learn how to do it really well Mm. and as much as you can about it. And then learn about everything else that you can. Because if you've got that, it allows you more flexibility in your life to be able to do different things. So it allows you a lot of creativity, because when you put a lot of those things together, you have a very different perspective. You know, um, m- many years ago, the, the Technion University in Israel did something really unusual. They combined their medical degrees with engineering degrees. Wow. And they produced these people who thought completely different about medicine and engineering mm. and science and how it and developed 
the most amazing new devices, medical devices that never would have been thought before. And so the point is, when you put two different things together, we've been very siloed in our thinking. So learn a lot about things because when you put them together, you get ideas and you get creativity and you get the ability to be able to pivot and change. Um, and then part of that is about doing it in the best place you can and meeting as many people as you can. People, 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 because you just learn so much from people um, and that's what makes the world go round. Unbelievable. Absolutely love that. Um, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Uh, thank you so much for making it all the way through to the end. Uh, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Mark Goldstone. Uh, lots of absolute nuggets in there. I've got two pages of notes that I've been uh, trying to scribble while precariously placing a microphone on my knee for this conversation. Um, but if it's the first time listening to Best of Belfast, uh, you can head to uh, Best of Belfast, our website, or uh, any podcast app uh, to find out over 170 interesting conversations just like this one with Mark uh, featuring incredible people from Northern Ireland. And other than that, Mark, man, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you carving out uh, this this hour or so uh, to speak with us. Thanks, man. Pleasure. Really has been. Thanks a lot. Super. Appreciate Cheers. it. Bye. Hi guys, I'm Rob and I'm from Queensland and I'm a proud member of the Best of Belfast Producers Club. I listen to the podcast for a number of reasons. I love Belfast, Northern Ireland and the country and the people in it. I have a connection with Northern Ireland as our family came to Australia in the 1800s from the beautiful county of Fermanagh. I love what's going on in Belfast, the entrepreneurs, the innovation, the technology and the spirit. My favourite podcast is definitely the Tim Brundle episode, although I do have many other favourites. I support the podcast financially because I believe that quality work deserves fair financial support. It's important that we continue to hear about the amazing people of Northern Ireland and what they are achieving. So if you've been sitting on the fence about joining the Producers Club and you would really miss Best of Belfast if it wasn't here, as I would, I highly recommend considering joining today. You can do so over at bestofbelfast.org. And I look forward to seeing you in the WhatsApp group soon.